Welcome, friends. I'm Reverend Tim Earhart, and this is Daily Bible Reflections for October 13, 2023. Today's New Testament lesson is from James chapter 4, verses 4 to 10. God the Jilted Lover You are cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God does not care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover, and what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. The Message Quite apparent is the fact that the Apostle James was not trying to win friends in the world. However, he was trying to influence the people within the churches in his care. Specifically, he was confronting the proud and arrogant. So please understand up front that James was going after the haughty persons because it takes a hammer to break a hard heart. And so his approach ought only to be emulated in the unique context of handling persons stuck in their own destructive hubris. Nevertheless, there is much instruction in these verses to help us all. Throughout Holy Scripture, we find a marriage metaphor likening the relationship of God to the people, much like a lover. God's covenant relationship is at the heart of understanding the whole of Scripture. Whenever people stray from divine promises, God is offended and hurt. Yes, God feels pain. God is an emotional being, which is why we have emotions as God's image bearers. One way to view the Bible is that it is a book about God, the jilted lover. The Lord set affection and love upon people, yet many people have spurned their lover's advance, and this situation pains God. When Adam and Eve decided to find satisfaction outside of God, the Lord was hurt. After them, when people had children and raised them, they did so largely apart from the God who loved them. It says in Genesis 6, The Lord saw that the human beings on the earth were very wicked and that everything they thought about was evil. He was sorry he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. And yet, God was gracious. The Lord took a group of Noah's descendants, Abraham's family, and set a covenant of affection on them. God hoped to restore the world to right relationship through the Israelites. However, they too came to set their affections on others. So nearly half of the Old Testament is devoted to communicating the Lord's hurt and disappointment. Like a jilted lover, God longed for Israel to remain faithful. 
For example, the prophet Hosea had an unfaithful wife, Gomer, and their relationship mirrored the relationship between God and Israel. Just as Hosea did not give up on his wife, even though she was brazenly unfaithful, so God looked at Israel as a spouse and could not bear to give her up. Israel spurned their lover's grace and kindness and actively sought other lovers, causing God anger and agony. God recounted the history of unfaithfulness in Ezekiel chapter 16, saying, At every crossroad you built your platform and degraded your beauty by spreading your legs to all comers. And so you encouraged even more promiscuity. You prostituted yourself with the Egyptians, your neighbors with the large sexual organs. And as you added to your seductions, you provoked me to anger. Still not satisfied, you prostituted yourself to the Assyrians, but they were not enough for you either. So you prostituted yourself with the Babylonians, the land of traitors, but again you were not satisfied. How sick was your heart that you could do all these things, the deeds of a hardened prostitute. You are like an adulterous wife. You take in strangers instead of your husband. Ordinary prostitutes are given gifts, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers. From every direction, you even bribed them to come to you for your sexual favors. As a prostitute, you were more perverse than other women. No one approached you for sexual favors, but you yourself gave gifts instead of receiving them. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God extended grace to the beloved spouse. In Isaiah 54, it says, I am taking you back. I rejected you for a while, but with love and tenderness I will embrace you again. For a while I turned away in furious anger. Now I will have mercy and love you forever. I, your protector and Lord, make this promise. The Old Testament ends with God still longing for return. In Zechariah 8-2 it says, The Lord proclaims, I care passionately about Zion. I burn with passion for her. All of this theological awareness was in the heart of the Apostle James when he wrote his letter to the hard-hearted. He knew they were flirting with the world. He wanted them to stop and return to the God who longed to show them grace if only they would humble themselves. God yearns passionately for us to find our needs met and our enjoyment found in the loving, divine embrace. Spiritual adultery hurts God deeply, like it would any jilted lover. God awaits with loving patience to show grace and compassion to wayward people. Only the stance and attitude of humility can receive grace. Sinful pride prevents people from receiving God's good gift. So James rattled off ten quick staccato commands to remain connected in a love relationship with God. They are resolutions for us to live by. Submit to God. Humble folk willingly place themselves under God's authority because they are convinced God has their best interests at mind. 
One temptation when facing adversity is to entertain the belief that no one is going to look out for you except yourself. So to avoid getting hurt too badly, we might become cynical, arrogant, and callous, self-protective strategies designed to keep the hurt away. This only creates hardness of heart. The alternative is faithful submission to God, knowing that God's Spirit will protect and lift and live with the conviction that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Resist the devil. Satan is a bully. The way to deal with bullies is to stand up to them. We face down the temptation by submitting to God and resisting the devil. Don't be deceived into flipping it around by listening to Satan and avoiding submission to God. Come near to God. Like a loving parent, the Lord longingly looks out the window waiting for prodigals to return. Coming to God is the first thing we ought to do. When my daughter was young, her bike was stolen. So we sat down together in the backyard and came to God in prayer. I barely finished praying when a police cruiser pulled up in the alley behind our house. The policeman rolled down his window and said, Hey, are you missing a bike? We hopped in and he took us to where someone had ditched the bike. It was a tremendous lesson that when we come to God, God comes to us. I realized life does not always work that way. Yet we can be assured that God listens, hears, and will respond. Wash your hands. We cannot approach God with blood on our hands but must come squarely facing our sin and disobedience. We must deal with the wrong we have done without sweeping it under the rug. God wants us to admit our sin, receive grace, and deal with matters of restitution and reconciliation without trying to save face when found out in a concern for optics. Purify your heart. Whereas the previous resolution is mostly external, this one addresses the inner person, the heart. Not only do our actions need to be cleaned up through washing our hands, but our attitudes must also be purged of pollution. Our hearts cannot handle two masters. We are to be single-minded without mixed motives. There is an African proverb that says, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. The next four resolutions describe important emotional responses to sin. Grieve. Trying to move on without grieving and lamenting is called denial. Grief is not only an event, it is a process which takes time. Grieving is biblical. Sharing our stories with each other, giving testimony to God's grace, and expressing ourselves is important. A loving God knows there cannot be healing apart from grief and lament. Mourn. Blessed are those who mourn with an emotional response to the devastation of sin. Mourning sees sin in all its foulness and degradation. People who do not mourn become hard-hearted and need deep spiritual transformation. Jesus offers the remedy. By his wounds, we are healed. Wail. We are to more than cry, 
who needs a whale. Whereas mourning might be more personal, wailing has a much more public dimension to it. I believe the great tragedy in many modern churches is an inordinate focus on victory and triumphalism. The result of that? Far too many Christians cry alone. No one should ever have to cry by themselves. We must weep with those who weep. If there ever was an appropriate place for crying, it should be amongst fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Change. We cannot turn the clock back to some bygone, idyllic era. We are to grasp the type of change which occurs in living for Jesus Christ and above sin, with no casual cavalier attitudes towards sin. I once had a conversation with a young woman about heaven and hell. When we began the discussion, she expressed a desire to be wherever the better party was going on. By the time we finished our conversation, she was grieving and crying. I never knew what became of her, but once she got a glimpse of the gravity of sin, it completely undid her. And finally, be humble. Humility sums up all these resolutions. The paradox is that through grieving, mourning, and wailing, we become joyful and satisfied. Through suffering, there is glory. Becoming last is to become first. Entering the narrow gate leads to the broad, open space of God's eternal life. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen.